Hey, y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I am not your host, Will Bazer. Uh, I am Johnny Brashear. Uh, Will Bazer is out this week as he has decided to take a 12th job. Actually, that's not true. Uh, we have mutinied. Uh, he is out. Uh, the Horns cast is now ours forever. So I hope you enjoy basketball talk on all of the podcasts because all of them are now all basketball talk. That's that. There's going to be Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast is now the Fire Chris Beard podcast. Uh, this is still pretend we're football because we like irony. Anyway, so uh, in his place, we have got a uh, distinguished alumnus uh, of our previous pretend we're football podcast episodes. Uh, Jeff Haley has joined us, uh, formerly of Burn Orange Nation, and uh, still vaguely on Twitter, which is nice. He gets to make sarcastic remarks and talk about whiskey and that's really all you can ask for out of out of twitter so uh today we are going to uh we're going to do sort of a a first of two uh look at the texas season upcoming uh we are going to talk about uh, our three sort of general view of what uh, beard and his staff are trying to build at texas kind of how we think the next few years may go sort of a best case worst case scenario situation uh, we're going to talk about the non-conference schedule, and then we're going to get into the roster and the construction of it and sort of the, the pros and cons, the things we think they will do well, the things they, they may need to focus on. Uh, and then we're going to leave things like the Big 12 uh, specifically to a, a later podcast. So, uh, guys, welcome welcome to the show. Welcome back to the season. Um Jeff, uh, good good to have you on. How are you feeling about this uh, about this this program under new management? I mean, I'm, I have a lot to uh, I have a lot to sort out and learn about. I guess. I mean, we have to figure out who's on the team and what they're what they're up to. But it'll be an interesting year. We we have no idea what's going to happen, so that's that's kind of fun. Well, I guess we're done since we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, yep. Thank you. Thank that's you, it. Jeff. It's that's- over done so now we're going to start the uh, new podcast that on will's channel about indonesian folk music and i'm i'm looking forward to tim's uh contributions to that yeah thanks will it's good to be back uh feeling good about the season excited about what's going to happen uh both with the three of us and uh also with the team and uh we had olive garden tonight here so i'm excited about that as well what happens who knows got some leftovers very excited anyways thanks will you're welcome, Tim. Glad to help. Also, I'm a gigantic nerd. I will be referring to you as Will the entire night. Anytime that you send it to me, you're going to have a thanks, Will, just please, so you're clear. Yeah, please do that regardless of whether it is Jeff or I that, that, that sends it to you. That'll, that'll, that'll be nice. Say no more, Will. All right. Thank you. All right. So given that we have a change in management, uh, we have a new, new group of coaches, uh, a new staff in its entirety, uh, we thought we would kind of take it, start with the macro and kind of work our way down a little more micro. And we're going to talk about a little bit the sort of what we think the 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 team as a whole, the program as a whole may look like over the next three to five years. Kind of look at a, a, what we think might be best case, what we might think is worst case, or, or sort of what we think the, the, the median case might be. So I'm, I'm going to start with Jeff uh, and not Tim because he's calling me Will. I, I feel like... We should ta- start with you because uh, you're the guest. Classic Will. Yeah, no kidding. Sure. And uh, also, we, I would need to put you on the spot. So, uh, Jeff. Sure. Jeff, how, how are you feeling about the next three years? And keep in mind that this is all being recorded for posterity. 
Yeah. So, okay. So you want it best case, worst case, and kind of median case. So, so best case is um, Texas wins every game for the next three years. They win by so much that um, the NCAA decides basketball will no longer be a support. So that's, that's the best case scenario. I can scenario. see it. Worst case scenario it. is the entire team like goes down in yeah. The worst case scenario is the entire team goes down in a uh, Ponzi scheme or insider trading uh, scandal, and then the median case is probably somewhere in the middle where um, Texas kind of stays in the upper half of the Big Twelve or the middle of the Big Twelve, kind of like the last decade or so. That's probably like something closer to the median case. I- I feel like, like you covered the spectrum. Gate. Thank you. That's that's good. Yeah. That. Tim, Tim, uh, you got anything to add to the best case, worst case? Well, yeah. Thanks, Will. Uh, I guess probably something like uh, you know, I, I just think of like PizzaGate, right? For for worst case, like he talked about Ponzi scheme. I'm wondering if like, you know, I don't know. Chris Ogden is running some kind of like. I don't know, anyways, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure it's gonna be great. There's nothing to worry about. You know, it, pizzas is the stuff like is that. the best case that they get away with the Ponzi scheme, or is the worst case that they don't get away with the Ponzi scheme? Like, I I feel like a Ponzi scheme really needs to be a significant part of the the arc of this program, regardless. Yeah, that's well said, Will. Well, and oh, can sorry, you go ahead. really go ahead, Will? Yeah, yeah. In three years, can you really run the full gamut of a Ponzi scheme? Right, like if you really do it right. You can probably keep it going for more than three years, right? Like Bernie Madoff, that was like that was you no, know, yeah, decades, that's true. So, so Chris Beard, next twenty years coach, eight percent annual return, just book it. Step one, underpants. Step two, uh, <laughs> step three, profit. Yeah, there we go. All right, so um, now that we're done with that, we want to give that a shot again. Maybe I, I know I'm not quite the taskmaster. That, that Will is, but we're, we're going to try that again. So, okay, realistic best case, uh, realistic worst case, although I guess I wouldn't put it past Chris Beard to be involved in a Ponzi scheme, but let's just call it realistic. Like, nobody gets cancer, worst case. How's that? Um, and and kind of what, what you think the most likely outcome is of this program in the next three to five years. Jeff, please go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I was serious about what I thought the most likely outcome was. I mean, I think you're looking at a team that's going to be competing in the Big 12, upper half of the Big 12. Um, I don't know that, you know, we have to see kind of how the program sustains over time. If this is always going to be a program that's able to compete with Kansas, like we would anticipate they will this year. Um, but I, I think, you know, upper half of the Big 12 until, well, Texas is in the SEC, I guess, in a few years. But I'm kind of ignoring that for the moment. Worst case, I mean, worst case is the team just sort of stinks, I guess. I mean, worst case is sort of things kind of fall apart because uh, Chris Beard can't really kind of sustain uh, players in his program. One could see that happening. There's a scenario where that happens. I'm not saying it's likely, um, but there's a scenario where that happens. And then the best case scenario is that, that they go deep into the NCAA tournament like people have won it, you know, once or twice over the next couple of years. And that would certainly be the best case. Tim? So uh, when you... I realize this is open-ended, but I'm just kind of trying no. <laughs> to give you a, a space to pontificate here. No, that's fair. I I guess when we talk about like these uncharted waters, that's just, it's just usually, even when Shaka was replacing the entire team that year when, you know, Jared Allen was a freshman and, and Andrew was a freshman, it, I think we kind of all knew it was going to be bad. Like, I didn't think we knew it was going to be that bad, but at least there was some type of semblance. Like, 
you could give me almost 50 different scenarios for this year and I would believe all of them. Like you could say final four, be like, yeah, you could say, uh, well, you know, like 17 and 15, like, yeah, okay. And, and where the reason that I keep on, on sticking with that and why I want to be, I want to be honest with our listeners about this is so Johnny and I have been talking about this for the last few months, but one question mark that I have with, with the entire, well, not the entire roster, well, maybe the entire roster, honestly, is the reason that basically everyone on this roster is here right now is because they were not good enough to go to the NBA. If you said, why is Andrew Jones here? Well, Andrew Jones is here right now because he was not good enough to go to the NBA. Well, why is Ramey here? Well, Ramey is here because he was not good enough to go to the NBA. Well, why is Marcus Carr here? Marcus Carr is here because he was not good enough to go to the NBA. It's kind of like that, like, like Tex-Mex food. Like, oh, a quesadilla is a tortilla meat and cheese well what's a taco oh that's a tortilla with meat and cheese oh what's an enchilada a tortilla with meat and cheese and like like that's just sort of like who our roster is and on the one hand i'm super excited about these guys that we have marcus carr can really play timmy allen can really play dylan desu can really play we're gonna be good I, I don't think that's a question mark but how good are we gonna be with a bunch of guys who probably weren't even second round draft picks filling our roster the answer is could be awesome but it, it the answer could also be oh boy i just i just don't know so so i, I i'm gonna i don't want to say i'm gonna plead the fifth from jeff's thought process i think he's exactly correct like yeah i, I do think when we talked about beard getting hired in april one of the key ingredients for that conversation was okay our floor is pretty damn high like our floor is probably 21 or 22 wins and part of that is because we're going to win every game in the non-conference by 75 points other than maybe one and the other part of it is he can really coach and like he's gonna he's the uh oh who's the Knicks coach now doggone it he used to be with the Bulls I can't think of his name Thibodeau yeah he's the Thibodeau of, of college coaches right he's he's gonna he's gonna run his players into the ground and we're gonna be good and he's you know it's, it's you know the great stuff is gonna be great and the bad stuff's gonna be meh but Thibodeau's never gotten over the top. Can Beard do it? Are these the right guys? If we start talking about how we're going to replace six or seven guys every single year by bringing in these these players who have pro aspirations but aren't there yet, and then hope that being a Texas is going to get get them to that spot, ugh, those those question marks are just going to hang over us until they don't anymore. So I I realize that's a very circumlocutious way of saying I don't really know, but. But I, the reason I don't know is because I just don't know how you can know. Yeah, I think for me, the the sort of on the, on the larger point of this is that I, I, what I am waiting to find out, and I don't know if I'll find it out for a couple years, is whether Chris Beard is more the coach that made an Elite Eight in a title game and had a, you know, sort of super elite defense and, and his offense is good enough to get him to those spots, or if he's more the coach of the last couple of years who spent his time on or near the bubble. Like he was always on the right side of the bubble, but he was a lot closer to that. And he, and he had more roster churn and he had more offensive issues. And, and I, I don't know which he is or which one he's going to be at Texas. And he could be either. I think there will be roster churn. I, I think that's just part of the experience, right? There's going to be a possibly a lot more roster churn than people who have followed this program have, have really ever seen. So, I mean, I, th I yeah. think that that's almost like that, that would be part of my median expectation is that, you know, I don't 
there's very few players that Chris Beard has coached for more than two seasons, right? It's yeah. just the reality. Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of roster churn. That seems to be part of how he puts a program together. He uses the transfer market so aggressively. People transfer out as much as they transfer in. That's just sort of part of the deal. So I, I think that's fair. And I guess maybe I'll rephrase it to say, I mean, I think we're, we are all in agreement that he is going to churn a roster more than probably any Texas coach ever has, which admittedly is a fairly low bar. Um, the question, I guess, is whether that churn is going to be a headwind for him going forward or if he can bring in the kind of guys that uh, it the churn, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but he's able to work with it and, and produce like high-level high level teams with it. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes the churn produces Tariq Owens and Matt Mooney, and sometimes the churn produces Mac McClung or Mac McFuckstick Fucky Fuckface. I don't know, whatever his name is. I'm not exactly certain. It could be either. <laughs> but when we, you know, when he found Mooney and Owens, it was like, you know, this was, those were two guys that, who knew? I mean, not saying that, that that Beard doesn't deserve credit for finding those guys, but like, who knew that those two guys were going to be some of the, the best two-way players in the country on top of Jarrett Culver being the best two-way player in the country that year? And he brings in McClung, and for all the things that McClung did well for Texas Tech last year, he wasn't awesome. Like, he was fine, but he wasn't awesome. Well, what about the the guys that Beard brought in this year? Are they going to be fine? Or are they going to be awesome? Which that that's when you're talking about the portal, when you're thinking about these types of players, that's that's going to be one of those head scratchers before every single season. Like on the one hand, you have a baseline of what they're probably capable of. On the other hand, their their ceiling is probably pretty low because almost almost for sure every guy that he's going to bring in through that portal idea is, are also going to be guys that he that have been you know, through the NBA draft process, who have gotten some feedback from the NBA, who have, uh, you know, decided their stock wasn't high enough to go and do something else. So, okay, well, then I'll then I'll look for the greenish pasture that is Texas. And and what will that mean? How will they put that together? What what kind of things will that will that equate to for us? But but, I, you know, he's on the one hand, there's no question Beard can coach. I mean, there's absolutely no question that he can coach. On the other hand, his desired style right now, from what it seems like, he says, like, we want to get old and stay old. Well, okay, well, we want to we want to utilize the portal as often as possible. That's great. But there are some inherent risks in that that are just as dangerous as Shaka going, you know, trying to say, hey, let's let's figure out, can we use top 40 guys, you know, from incoming freshmen or how can we we grow our own guys or whatever. But but yeah, and and, you know, that dynamic now also of, moving eventually to the SEC is going to be a, a, a fun one for us to figure out and navigate. Like, okay, what does this mean when we're not playing against a schedule of eight of the, or, you know, seven or eight of the best, probably 30 programs in the country every single year? Yeah, I think it's, it, the, the question um, is is less about, I mean, it's, it is about how he minds the transfer portal and it is about, like his defense and his tactical decisions. But I, I kind of wonder if some of the things he's done the last uh, handful of years at Tech, if if those were sort of market inefficiencies that other people have caught up on to some degree. Like, for example, uh, he was very aggressive with the transfer portal early and often. Uh, everybody's aggressive with the transfer portal now. You know, Scott Drew, Bill Self, all these other guys are mining the transfer market. Porter Moser's bringing in transfers at Oklahoma. Like that's 
that's something that everybody's doing now. And I don't know if he's doing, if, if Beard is necessarily going to do it better than everybody else to where it is still sort of a strategic advantage. Um, same thing with the defense, for example, where it's like, it, every, every, like half the conference is now playing no middle, whereas three years ago it was one or two teams, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the transfer market, I mean, I guess I guess this offseason suggests that the, he's still pretty aggressive, and I mean, this is the best transfer class, right? That that Texas pulled in of of, of any team, right? There may be better players yeah. that transferred, better individual players, but a single class, this is this is the best one nationally, I guess. I mean, and and I I don't know. I mean, Tarek Owens was a freaking monster at St. John's, so when he became a monster at Texas Tech. He, you know, it was just, I guess he was dissatisfied at, at St. John's. To me, the the question more is going to be, you know, how does this sustain itself over the next few years, right? We have this sort of anomalous COVID year where the transfer market is like never before. And probably this isn't how you're going to build the program every year. Because let's, let's face it, Texas had one thing that we transfer once we have playing time. We have like four guys in the gym you know, playing with a couple managers in practice. So so it's not always going to look like this either, which is fine. This is a way to kind of jumpstart the program, which I think is is good. And, and frankly, Shaka would have benefited from doing similar when he arrived, right? Bringing in a bunch of transfers for a second year, that could have changed his trajectory. So I think it's, I think it's been good thus far. I think we'll just have to see how it plays out on the court. Yeah, I mean, I guess one... one... I don't disagree with what you're saying. I guess what I'm thinking is that I don't know how much different next year is going to be. I mean, unless he, unless Beard and, and the crew starts bringing in more high school recruits, they've got two commits right now, and maybe they'll have more coming. Um, but if they only have a two- or three-person class and they, they have this many juniors and seniors and super seniors on the team, they're going to be hitting the transfer market Mm -hmm. hard next year. So the question is, are they just going to continue to do that? Or are they trying to slowly work their way to a relatively traditional model of recruiting high school players? I I, I kind of feel like the answer's in the middle, but uh, I I hope the answer's in the middle. I hope the answer's in the middle because the the issue you have is that this is this is probably a year for transfers, like certainly like none that have happened before, and likely like none that will ever happen again. So if your plan is to build the program this way every year, it's probably not going to work. But I suspect yeah. about. And I think it's the 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 part of it is when you are when you're mining the transfer market, uh, you are looking for starters. You know, uh, maybe here and there you're looking for bench pieces, but generally you're looking for starters. So. If those guys, one or more of them, don't pan out for whatever reason, that's a bigger hit to your program than like if a high, if a freshman comes in and doesn't really contribute and then transfers, that's less of a hit to your program stability. So it's a bit more of a high wire act in that regard. Like it just takes when you when you whiff on a transfer or you know you get a transfer in and they don't produce, that's probably going to be a bigger hit to your program than if a high school freshman doesn't pan out in in a vacuum at least. Well, and Beard went to the Elite Eight and then to the National Championship game and lost in overtime and then consolidated that into Jamius Ramsey and TJ Shannon, who are good players, but it's not like you would imagine like in that situation, someone that had that kind of success would have had a lot to sell people. Like, <laughs> hey, man, we, we, we got something going here. Come be a part of this. 
And his recruits that he brought in were fine, but they were very beard recruits. Like these were these were kiddos that you would think or kiddos, sorry. These were players that you would assume he would have brought in no matter what. And I'm not sure he set the world on fire with that. And so I'm interested to see because Arterio Morris and Dylan Mitchell are 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 very capable players, guys who I think are gonna be fun to to follow and watch at Texas. Um are they different than the guys that Rick was bringing in at the end of his time at Texas? Not really. Are they different than the guys that Greg or that Shaq was bringing in? Uh, maybe they're a little lower, or at least they're you know around the same kind of level that Shaka was bringing in. So from that standpoint, like how does how does he ride whatever wave of success that he has? Now in this first iteration, that as Jeff said, that that meant a really really terrific transfer squad that he brought in but the circumstances were pretty unique um i have heard that that at this point the only guys that we really feel pretty confident that are not going to stick around for next year after this season are Carr and andrew um so how that how that kind of moves into what's going to come next do does everyone else stay um do a lot of these guys decide that they're going to you know, move on after this and that, you know, what they have going on here is a little bit less than they thought it would be or, or whatever, we, you know, we'll have to see. Well, Allen is uh, a senior, by the way, so he's probably gone. Allen and Carr and, I mean, Andrew, they're, Andrew, between the three of them, they're... And Christian yeah, Bishop. Andrew Jones is like 35, practically, yeah. at this point, so it's... <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I think that they all, like, whatever they were last year, they are again this year, at least as far as their, res- as, so, well, so, so I agree with you. Next year, so starting not this season, but the next season, any of those guys who use that COVID year start counting against the 13 scholarship thing. So I guess it's possible that Timmy Allen says, I want to be a super senior next year, but right. then that's a spot that they like they don't get to have like sixteen scholarships the next season or whatever. So right, they, right which we'll yeah. yeah. So no, I, you, so we'll see. Yeah, you take Timmy Allen back probably, but I mean at a certain point these guys are just going to get on with their lives. So and if you're no. yeah, if you're like uh, Timmy Allen's going to have his third kid by the time right. he graduates. If, if you're Texas if you're whatever. um if you're Is like that a Mormon guys, joke, will yeah. Jeez. let's face it, if you're not going to make the NBA, you're biological clock is ticking as a basketball player and you've got till about the time you turn 30 to make as much money as you're going to make playing overseas so at some point it does kind of behoove them to to move on maybe maybe you could take be uh take a contract being the g league guys who the elite guys play against you know like you play against the 18 year olds or whatever just that's, beat that's the, your that's beat your game. the hell out of them <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, this is worse ways to make a living, I guess. I guess. Uh, so yeah, so there's, there's, I mean, that's that's a, those are some of the sort of questions and and, and TBDs we have on on this program going forward. Um, not necessarily a, a, a major concerns as of yet. It's more waiting to see what takes shape. I, I think I'm sort of in the same general boat of Jeff as Jeff with the, uh, you know, the team's probably going to be a top half of the big 12 team the next couple of years with potential to be much higher if things click. I also agree that it's probably unlikely that they're going to have a, you know, a, a bad record, especially like Tim said, with the, the non-conference schedule being as weak as it is, there's, it's, it's going to be really hard to be 16 and 18 with that many patsies in the non-conference schedule. So speaking of the non-conference schedule, uh, we're going to go through that a little bit. 
Um, not not uh, in too deep a detail. I, I think we do need to spend a little time talking about uh, the Gonzaga game, so we'll start there. Um, Tim, what are your first thoughts on the Gonzaga matchup? Well, they return or they sorry they replace almost their entire backcourt. In fact, I think they are replacing their entire backcourt. So we're catching them at a good time. So before their backcourt has a chance. Well, to Nimhart's no, back, but yes, otherwise, yeah, yeah, but they. Obviously, returning uh, Drew Timmy and uh, bringing in Chet Holmgren, that's a couple of guys that can really play and have a chance to kind of wreak havoc on college basketball in a way that uh, few front courts uh, uh, necessarily do. But I do think that Texas is going to have an opportunity if they can if they can force Gonzaga into some tough situations defensively um, that Beard has kind of had a, like his his calling card with. So I'm, I'm glad that we play them game two and not game nine. Do I think Texas is going to be able to like impose their will? Do I think the best players are on Texas's roster? No, I don't. I think probably you can make a pretty good case that Gonzaga has the top three players in that game. Does Texas have, you know, players four through 10, <laughs> maybe. So, so who's but, number three? I mean, obviously, Holmgren and Timmy are one and two. Nemhard. Yeah, I, I do think, I think Nemhard, yeah. Really good. Yeah, okay. so. Yeah. So, you know, Marcus Carr is also really good, but that's going to be his second game as a Longhorn with this with this particular group. So, so again, I, it's replacing the guys in the backcourt that Gonzaga is going to have to replace is no joke. Uh, I'm not sure Gonzaga is deserving this instant of the number one ranking that they've got. But I, I, I get it. And I'll be interested to see kind of how Texas's bigs handle Gonzaga's bigs. Is Dylan uh, DeSue, is he going to be a factor in that game? Will they even have him cleared? I think that they will, but we'll see what happens. Um, is he not cleared yet? I thought he was practicing. Uh, he's practicing, but he's he, like he didn't play in the scrimmage against Houston okay. this last weekend. So... How that? Because it's a it's a how, medical clearance he's waiting for, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and they're taking the staff's taking it quite slow with him, so we'll see how that how that factors into how quickly or not quickly he can assimilate. But um, I, I I I I'm excited about the team. I think that we actually, like I said, we have as many or more good players as Gonzaga has. But I probably think the best players on that court are going to be wearing. Uh, blue red and white so we'll we'll see how that factors into the the end game there oh is chris beer doing a team usa thing or is that okay uh, no, this is awkward will i'm so yeah, sorry yeah uh jeff what are your what are your thoughts on that matchup with gonzaga yeah i mean i i don't have much to say on what tim said other than what i'll say about gonzaga all right so tim what do you think j- about the tennessee matchup <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks will okay good stuff <laughs> hey, no, go, go ahead jeff. no no what what i'll say about the you know about gonzaga is uh, aside from the three the two players who played major roles last year as well as holmgren they have a lot of depth in that program and and let's be let's be frank it's it's not uncommon for the depth guys that Gonzaga has been cultivating in that program to be future NBA players. So there'll be some guy on Gonzaga that that's from Tonga that we've never heard of who like, you know, drops like 14 points in the game and by the end of the season is drafted at the end of the first round. So it's, it's yeah, the, the I, Rui I, I Hachimura guess, of this. Team yeah. The, right or now. yes. You know, there's always, there's always a dude like that. Right. So I think for me, what what I'm going to be interested in is that um, Mark Few has spent the entire offseason uh, either 
thinking about how to attack a no-biddle defense after what Baylor did to him, uh, drinking heavily, or thinking about a no-middle defense after what Baylor did to him while drinking heavily and then driving and getting caught by a cop. So I, I think the question for me is, I, and I, I mean, I guess I, I'm really interested to see how Mark Few attacks a no-middle defense with a summer to think about this because Baylor has, it really just beat the crap out of them in that title game. It was, uh, it was impressive, and I hate to say anything positive about Baylor, so that, that hurt in my soul to say that. Um, if there's somebody who's going to come up with a counter to no-middle defense, uh, it's going to be a guy like Mark Few, and, and it also helps that he's got the uber-unicorn Holmgren that, that can maybe drag a, a big out to the out to, outside while he uh, rains down threes. Jeff? Well, and it also is that you know, the Baylor defense in that game was very good, but let's let's be honest. The reason why that game went sideways for Gonzaga is because Baylor just torched them from the perimeter, right? So it's a shot the shit out of the ball. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't you can't shoot the ball any better than that. So when you play good defense like that and you shoot the hell out of the ball, you're you're gonna you're gonna win. Um, we'll yeah. see, we'll see. It'll be it'll be a good test for Texas because the rest of the non-conference schedule is basically dog shit. So. It'll be good. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. And Texas can win, and I'm not sure it will tell us. I'm not sure it will be a great harbinger of like, oh, well, if they win that game, they're definitely going to compete with Kansas. But if they do win, yeah. it will be, you know, that's 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 going to be awesome. Because, again, then if we win that game, there's a decent well, like and the non-conference season ranked number two, maybe number one. Yeah, if <laughs> so. Texas beats Gonzaga, the hype machine is going to be out of fucking control. Like, it's just going to be obnoxious because there's not another game until January worth of shit. So um, I, I think what, what will be interesting to me is that I, I think while Texas will have the size down low uh, that to, to make Timmy work for what he's got. Um, I am less convinced that Texas is going to be like, I, I'm sort of of the a different opinion of Tim in that I kind of would rather catch them in game nine than game two, because I feel like Texas is installing two different, two new systems. Whereas Gonzaga is really only getting new guys up to speed in their existing one. And I, I feel like, yeah, especially with guys like Timmy there, they're the most important guys for Gonzaga outside of Holmgren are guys that have been in the system for at least a year. Whereas just about everybody at Texas outside of Avery Benson is learning new systems on both ends of the ends of the court. And so I'm I've I feel like Texas would have a better shot against Gonzaga later in the season than they do early. Um so I don't know. I, I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating game to watch and uh, arguably the only game to watch for the first month and a half of the season. Um, I, there are there are a, you know, the, the, the Tennessee game will be interesting in January. That should be a solid game. Um, I think that's that might actually end up being a pretty competitive game as long as Barnes isn't choking the life out of his team in the second half of a season. Um, and then the... The Seton Hall. Usually, game. a Barnes team is pretty damn good in January. So that's true. Well, it is the very end of January, so that's you know. We, okay. Yeah, we might be get you might be on the other side that just just at the other end of that roller coaster crest. Like it's just starting. Um, so the the Seton Hall game is, I 
I mean, it, you know, could could be could be good, I guess. Like it's it's an away game, so there's that. Um, I I have stern complaints about the Ablemans Classic, but I really want to just sort of hand this over to Jeff Haley because I I feel like he might summarize my thoughts on this better than I can. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, the Abe Lemons Classic is essentially a cowardly act, right? And what we do to make this, to kind of hide our cowardice, is we associate a name, which everyone who's familiar with Texas basketball is like, oh, Abe Lemons, the funny guy we like from the 70s. Everyone likes this guy. So let's like hide He's our- He's got quotes. Yeah, he, you know, lots of good one-liners, but let's hide our cowardice behind this, right? So- Texas will be spending Thanksgiving week instead of playing in some sort of multi-team event that has like actual other competition, will be just beating the hell out of local teams in the Abe Lemons Classic. And it's it's really kind of disappointing, right? It's It would have been, you know, this is a team that should be very, very good and they should be spending that time playing on national television against strong opponents, not playing on the Longhorn Network while Lowell Galliendo, you know, shouts things into the microphone. Yeah, this should be this should be a good opportunity. This is the first kind of showcase for college basketball of the year, and Texas has chosen not to participate in it. More broadly speaking, like the whole non-conference schedule is dog shit, right? It's like we're you know you start off with a exhibition against the Lutherans, then you play the Baptists, then you play the Catholics. It's like a jihad. I mean, I don't really like get. <laughs> I, I just don't get the scheduling at all. Like there could be like a good, you know, home and home with something. And the only good game on the schedule, the only good games on the schedule are ones that Chris Beard did not select. Right. So the Gonzaga thing was a commitment that was already made prior to him taking over. And then you have two different, um, the Seton Hall game and the Tennessee game are games that were established by conference challenges. So, I really hope he'll schedule a better non-conference schedule in the future, but I know from looking at his past, that's not likely. This is just the way it's going to be. We just have to accept it. I don't want to accept it. Well, and not not done any favors by Texas Tech, and I think they got. I don't. I know they got beat. I don't think they got smoked last year against Houston. But the one real tough game they played against somebody last year, they got they got worked, and so that didn't do any favors. Because what tournament did Texas drop out of? They were going to be in a tournament this coming year, and then dropped out of that. And that's where the Abe Levin's classic, like, was born. Weren't they supposed was, to go Madison Square Garden or something? Like, it was maybe, a Brooklyn yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah, maybe. So, like, the 2K classic or whatever those those ones are or something like that. But, yeah. Like, yeah, and then Tech ended <laughs> up in it, I think. Oh, my good grief. Yeah. No, Jeff's exactly right. Like, it's, it's you know, you, you think back to the year when Texas lost to, what was it, like, Radford and and VCU and whatever. Like, obviously, like, not something that we want to think back to at all. But even then, like, those teams that Texas lost to, names notwithstanding, those were type top 50, top 60 teams in the country. You can't compare that to what we're about to see. Like, we're about to play a bunch of teams that are truly the very worst in the entire country. A lot of teams are, like, 320 or below. And even Shaka, for as bad as his teams were, uh, at least on occasion, and that occasion was always, uh, even Shaka's teams would smoke these teams. <laughs> so I'm very hopeful that Texas fans don't, you know, are smart enough to look at that and be like, oh, we're winning by 50. Uh, that doesn't mean we're the best team of all time. That means 
we're playing teams that are genuinely quite bad because that's what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not quite as bad as a Jamie Dixon or Fred Hoiberg tour of the SWAC, but it's, you know, it's it's not great. I mean, they got teams from the SWAC this year. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I, I think so. My my problems are, are, are multiple with this. One is that Chris Beard is doing this publicity tour of Unite the Family or whatever this is where he where it's like, it, okay, I, I get that you are a new coach and you have this opportunity to bring past and present together and you have this this uh, chance to really sort of unite the family like he's talking about. And there are there are legitimate ways you can do this. Like one, which seems to me to be a no-brainer, is to take that Tennessee game and say and make an announcement that we're putting Rick Barnes' name on the court in the new arena. Like, it's his first trip back to Austin. He's the best coach we've ever had. Like, that's a good way to sort of bring past and present together. Uh, another would be to bring up Abe Lemons and actually play teams that Abe Lemons coached. Like, I don't know, UT Rio Grande Valley, who is on the schedule and not even associated with the goddamn Abe Lemons classic. Like, I, I just think that he's... How, how lazy do you have to be to be like, I'm going to do an Abe Lemons thing. And like UT, you know, Pan American, as they used to be, is sitting right there and be like, nah, it's fine. We're just, we're going to bring somebody out. Nope. In their defense, Abe Lemons is dead. So he can't be that upset. Yeah, I, I'm upset on his behalf. He, he might he might be haunting the program now. No, I mean, I think we could kind of keep this thing going though, right? You know, you have the Abe Lemons classic. And then you have what the Leon Black Classic, and then the Tom Penders Classic. Oh, yeah, that's def- he died, so might and, as well do that next well, year. Well, Tom Penders is yep. still with us, but um, you keep going kind through of. this, and then eventually, like how many years before you get to like the Sheldon McClellan Classic, right? I mean, you just kind of keep going through <laughs> Texas basketball names. You just do it for a while. Sheldon McClellan Classic. That's nothing but snake mascots. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking. Who am I thinking of? Is it Sheldon McClellan? Sheldon, yes, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, 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 the, the year 2721 yeah. will be the Sheldon McClellan Classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just I get like a lot of this is is pomp and circumstance, and you're doing stuff for the gram, and you got to bring in the old players and take a photo while you're both doing hook 'em horns and yada yada yada. I, I get that. Like some of this is. You know, it, it's it's less so uh, with the basketball coach than the football coach being a, a, a politician's job. But I, I really hate feeling like I'm getting sold a car every time Chris Beard shows up on my TV. I, I mean, I, I watch them talk about, oh, well, he and CDC got into this thing on, on Twitter where they were like, we're going to have a pizza party if the students sell out the home opener. and they, But they wouldn't talk about who the home opener was. They just kept saying... Pizza party, party in front of the tower. If you sell it out, and then in like a week later, it's like, yeah, it's, it's Houston Baptist. And it's like, buddy, <laughs> it's a Tuesday night with Houston Baptist. Not you're not selling out the student section for that. I feel bad for season ticket holders, honestly, because they got Tennessee, and the second best Ken Palm rating of last year is Rice. Rice is the second most compelling home game you get in the non-conference schedule. Like, if I was a season ticket holder, I would fucking riot over this. This is terrible. Like, I hope whoever bought season tickets or bought, like, mini plans got Tennessee because every other game is not going to be worth a shit. Like, it's all terrible. It's 
And I I don't I don't know that it's going to change short of either fans show not showing up or like I mean basically you got to show CDC that nobody's going to show up at the arena unless you start booking you know Michigan State and North Carolina and whoever again like that's that's the only way I guess um, otherwise it's going to be a lot of Lutherans and Catholics and jihads. Well, and for what it's worth, for the way that Beard wants to construct his roster, I get it. I get it. Like, he's going to have an opportunity to, in quite literally a completely stress-free way, uh, figure out personnel rotations, figure out, like, who kind of works together, figure out who can be utilized in what different kind of spots and, and position groupings. Like, I, I get it. It's a, it's a legitimate way to think about how you're going to construct your your schedule so that you just feel like, hey, we just if we're going to have this many new guys every year, and I don't think that we're going to bring in eight new guys or seven new guys next year, but whatever that number is, if he's going to continually bring in guys like that, I understand it. That doesn't mean it doesn't suck. And that certainly doesn't mean that it's not going to be pretty frustrating for a fan base that struggled to get up for Rick Barnes schedules. And I guess I would probably say, I think this schedule not has the chance flat out is the weakest non-conference schedule that we've ever actually seen. Like, and maybe I'm being hyperbolous. I don't mean to be, but I, I'm it, guessing at this least, is probably at least since Barnes has been here. I, I can't think of yeah. a worse one. I'm thinking of like some of those old Penders exhibition games against like the Globe Trotters barnstorming team that actually played basketball and like Australian teams and stuff. I mean, this has kind of like got that vibe, but yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long, long time. And even then, like Penders would schedule Arizona or something. So, right. So I, I, I get it. I just, I, and I don't even think it's dumb. I just think it sucks. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, and and this is this is one of the things I, I point out in the in preview here, and I'm I'm scrolling, so I'm going to filibuster here for a second. So when Abe Lemons won the NIT, his non-conference schedule uh, included USC, Oklahoma, LSU, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, and at the time fifth-ranked Marquette. Uh, does that sound like something that the Abe Lemons Classic might want to, you know, may, maybe take a note on and not? Maybe maybe schedule the Seattle Kraken or whatever they're gonna fucking come up with for the Leon Black Classic, which will just be like the a D three women's team or something. I I don't know. I mean, honestly, they could have come up with there. So and this is another one of the other things I, I talked about is like they're actually they're gonna do the Greg Gym for a game with students only, which that's a good idea. Like I I'm fine with them doing that for one game, but you know they could have maybe picked an NAIA team that Abe Lemons coached at and make that part of the Abe Lemons classic. I mean, they, they clearly have no problem scheduling D3 teams for exhibitions. So bring them in. Like it's just, all of it just sucks and it's lazy and it's, it just sucks. So. Uh, well, and for what it's worth, the, the best team that plays in the Gregory gym all the time is women's volleyball. Yeah. And they should they shit on people. Like and they play play you know, they go through their entire non-conference and they play tough teams all the time and they're really damn good and they show you what it's like to like be that level of team. I hope that Beard has that kind of aspirations. And I don't I, uh, it's dumb to say because he almost won a title. Like he was one point away from winning a title. So this is a stupid argument. But I I do think that a coach that says to himself 
we want to prepare ourselves for playing in the best conference in the country by playing the worst non-conference schedule. That just there's a disconnect there that I just don't know that I agree with. And especially Texas fans who have other accessible teams in their, you know, there on campus that they can see play in those ways and play in those types of games and and understand like what are, what is at stake. And then they're going to rock against Sam Houston in that game. Like what like What's the point? Why why are people going to come? Why would people even care? Why would they be interested in in taking a part of something like that? Yeah, I I mean I it's it's interesting to look at not only the difference between Chris Beard's non-conference and Shaka's, but Chris Beard's non-conference and Vic Schaefer for the women's team, who he's actually like bringing in hard teams to play. You go to you know both home and away, and it's like maybe we could get Vic to walk across the hall and be like, Hey buddy, you want to have a discussion here for a second? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. We will complain about it on multiple podcasts upcoming. So we probably should move on. Um, so we, we promised to talk about the roster. I think we should talk about the roster. Uh, we have a lot of new names, uh, a lot of new names who are actually going to see a lot of time. So, uh, I've, I, I want us to talk about sort of the 30-10 game we, we do where we, we talk about a, whether this player gets 30 minutes or 10 minutes. Um, I feel like that's probably going to be a bit of an impossible task in this, but we're, we're just going to do the best we can. Uh, this is definitely not going to add up to 200 minutes when we get done. So we'll do our best and understand that uh, rounding is fine. Just round to the nearest 100 and, and, and we'll be fine. So... Um, Given, given that, uh, I, I want to start off with uh, the, the transfers because they are probably going to take up, for the most part, uh, the, the big minutes uh, on this team. And I feel like we should probably start with Marcus Carr. So, uh, Tim, do you want to talk about Marcus Carr and, and what you see from him? Certainly, he's a 30-minute guy for me, for sure. I think there's a very, very good chance that when we look back at this season, he will be the best player um, possibly by a decent amount. He was a preseason first-team all-conference selection for the Big 12. He, I want to say, every single year at Minnesota when he was there previously, he was at least an all-Big 10 selection of some level. Um, and a guy that, that has in the past averaged like 20 points and six assists in the same season. So like that's that's a level of, of playmaking and um, just guard play that we haven't seen arguably since even DJ as far as production and what he's been able to put together. So that's better than what Isaiah put together in his best year. That's better than what Matt put together in his best year. That's better than Javon Felix or whatever else. Right. So I do think that he's a guy that, um, that, that brings a lot of dynamism and he's another, uh, Canadian connection that we have with, uh, with the reinstitution of, uh, Rodney Terry into the staff. So it's like magic. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he's someone that I think is um, is is going to be really really good. I'm fascinated to see how capable he is as a creator for others. He had a year at, at Minnesota. I want to say his sophomore year where he did a great job facilitating. Uh, his other years, he was a little bit more of a scorer. I don't think that we will need that as much from him as we could really use his ability to to play, make, and create. So how that part of his game looks will be an interesting section of 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 what we do because I think he's a guy that. Maybe other than Dessou, like he probably has the the highest pro aspirations of anyone on the squad. So, what is he looking to get out of this out of this season? Not trying to like paint him as a selfish guy. I don't. I have no reason to believe that that's the case. But, 
but I do think it'll be interesting to see like what he what he thinks this year is going to be and whether he really feels like he's that level player or not. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about him. He's a 30 minute guy. I mean, with a bullet for me and probably going to be our best player. Yeah, I've got him at 32. I mean, I, I won't add much to what Tim said other than I really hope he's more of a playmaker. Um, the one one of the things I'll say about about Carr's game is when he was on better teams at Minnesota and was more of a facilitator, the team was a lot better. He played on some really terrible teams, particularly last year. That team was a disaster. And he's not going to be an efficient scorer. Like he's that's just not his game. He doesn't finish at the rim very well. He's he's that's why he's not in the NBA, right? He doesn't have that. Uh, he he doesn't have the sort of explosiveness around the rim to finish. Um, he's a decent shooter, but really we'd like to see him with a team that has this many you know skilled offensive players. We'd like to see him much more in a facilitating role this year. So yeah, I, I mean I think my I, he's definitely a thirty minute guy for me as well. Um, I, I think this team's ceiling is going to be primarily defined by him, at least more so than any any other individual player. Um, I. I th- I think my questions are, uh, and it's not doubts I have, I just need to see more of, is one, his defensive prowess, um, and, and, and two, how he fits into a, a motion system. Uh, where Because the games I watched of his in Minnesota, he was either, he either had the ball in his hands and was doing something, or he was floating around on the perimeter. And it's not that I think he can't be very effective in a motion system. I just kind of need to see a little more to, to, to see what, what his sort of final form is at Texas. So, um, but, but again, I, I really do think his, um, his ceiling in a lot of ways defines the, the Texas ceiling, not, not entirely unlike the way Jacobin's ceiling kind of defined it, the, that his junior season kind of defined where Texas could and could not go. I, I kind of see a little bit of Jacobin in him, um, and, and hopefully for the better. So the next guy I want to talk about is uh, Trey Mitchell. Um, he came to Texas out of UMass. Uh, Jeff, you want to talk about him a little bit? Yeah, I mean, this guy is really good. I, I like his game a lot. Um, he's got a couple of things I really like. So first of all, he's he's long. He's, he's big. There's going to be a number of these Texas transfers who we're going to give that assignment to. Um, he's got some pretty good hands around the basket. He's got good feet around the basket. He can score inside and he can knock down a shot, right? He's got a, he's got the ability to shoot. So I really like this guy's game. I guess my question for him is going to be, you know, how he fits with the other players. Cause as we'll talk through, there are many players with similar skill sets on this team, but he's one of the better ones. So he's definitely a 30 for me. Yeah, I agree. I think he's probably going to be the starting center, which is, um, is, is interesting in that. I think he's, um, he's definitely got the ability to to be around the basket, like you said. I, I also think that he has the ability to uh, play on the perimeter as well. And I, I in a different system, I feel like him and Desu, uh could be could play really interesting two man games with a guy like Carr. Um, I, I would like to see something like that. I don't think that's what we're going to see out of Texas this year, which is unfortunate in my view, but. Um, Mitchell is definitely a, a really good rebounder. I like his shot. I like, um, uh, you know, I, there's going to be like a half dozen dudes on this team that I'm going to say he's a really good rebounder because this, this team is full of really good rebounders. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say he's definitely a 30. Tim? 
He's a Brad Buckman clone for me. Very similar game to Buckman. Um, comfortable stepping out on the perimeter. Uh, skilled around the basket. Good free throw shooter. Um, not an awesome rebounder in space, but a good rebounder for his spot. Um, how well he's able to defend opposing guards if he has to like ever switch into that or if he has to kind of move his feet against faster players we will see he's not the most fleet of foot but he's a good athlete good good length so i actually think bishop will start at the center spot i think mitchell will be more of a more of a guy who's going to like probably guard and and be offensively more of a of a four stretch four kind of player but i i mean johnny's not wrong as far as like what his responsibilities will probably end up being at least part of the time and then depending on Desu when he's back and healthy and, and ready to contribute, we'll we'll just sort of see. But but yeah, like I said, he's he's someone that if you remember Buckman, his junior and senior year, he was kind of a do it all and was certainly capable of some big time games, but but he'll he'll be someone that will I think not overwhelm you, but will certainly uh endear a lot of fans with his consistency and his all around court game. So uh thirty. Yeah, I I, without without giving away the the farm here, I just at this point Carr is the only thirty player for sure for me. I, I I think a lot of other guys, I'm I will probably hedge my bets on the south side, and maybe say a lot more ten than I would have normally. But I I do think Mitchell is probably at this point. But when when Desue is back, then I, all bets are off with that. Like with with either Bishop or or Mitchell, because because Desu is the one I'm I'm most excited about. So I okay. So let's take a quick sidebar. Uh, if if you guys have it in front of you, how many? Just understanding that this is not going to equal 200 minutes. How many 30 minute players do you have right now? In, in the 3010 context, I have six. Yeah, Carr, Ramey, Jones. Mitchell, Bishop, Allen. So yeah, six. And then when Desue is back, he would for sure be in that for me. Like I think Desue is the most talented pro prospect on the team. You yeah. know, maybe maybe Jalen Tyson in the long run, but I but I doubt. I don't think he's the athlete enough to be that. I I've got the same six as Tim, except Desue instead of Bishop. So for me, I, I have, and I, I'm going to have to scroll down here. Sorry, I, be, being the uh, the MC is is screwing with me here. I, I my my thirties are Carr, Mitchell, Jones, Allen, and Desue. Those those are my five. Um, there are other guys I think should maybe get like I you know the. I realize the point of this game is to avoid telling everyone 20 minutes, which is fair. Um, but those are the guys I think are most likely to do 30 minutes a game. Because I, I, I kind of feel like this team is going to be pretty starter heavy. And, and that's that's generally my starting five. So um, so that's interesting that, that we're sort of diverging on Bishop among, among a couple others. Um, well, yeah. I'm, when I'm, we get to Timmy Allen, I'll probably get into my explanation for why I think it's going to go the way I'm thinking it's going to go. So, Sure. Well, let's go ahead and go to Timmy Allen then, because that was next on my list. Jeff, please go ahead. Yeah. So Timmy Allen's definitely a 30, but Timmy Allen is going to be the one that kind of throws a monkey wrench into everything, right? So, so this roster has a lot of guys who are probably best playing around the basket with their back to the basket. And Timmy Allen, despite the fact that he's 6'6", and he played some wing at Utah, but also played some post at Utah, is really probably best playing near the basket. So I, I think Timmy Allen's a 30, but I think he's 
probably pushing maybe one of the other big guys to the bench in some cases. Because he's got the ability to just kind of score around the basket. He plays well, well with his back to the basket. He's a good passer. But man, oh man, he's not a shooter, right? He's not really... If he's playing on the perimeter on offense, the Texas offense is going to be kind of a clogged toilet. It's it's just the reality. So I'm I'm kind of hoping they see that, hey, look, we can come up with a three-man rotation in the post. And Timmy Allen's one of those guys. That That's what I'm hoping. And, and he's a 30. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't, I don't know if I... I really doubt that. I doubt that will happen. I don't think that that's a wrong idea, and I, I like what I think that could do. To me, I I don't mean to to equate these guys to different Texas players in the past. He's kind of like a Gary Johnson for me, but just a better decision maker, better passer, so more clean. But like similar, like like with you want Timmy Allen to be somewhere in like the seven to twelve feet range because he's terrific at drawing fouls. He's good with his you know with with uh, the ball in his hands when he's in the paint. He's kind of you know shifty and smart. He's just a really intelligent player, and I think that like when we can get him in those situations, it'll be good. So it makes sense what Jeff is saying that hey, let's let's find minutes for him where that's the majority of where he is. I don't think Timmy Allen came to Texas to be an undersized four, and I do think Beard is going to have to kind of play that game thoughtfully as far as when we want guys to come to us. When we're bringing in this level of players, yes, they're coming for Texas and they have to come for Texas, but we also understand that those guys are coming because we can help you get where you want to go and put you on a stage that is just higher and better than where you were before. Don't pay attention to our non-conference games. Um, But how does he manage that with a guy like Timmy, who obviously would understand that his pro prospects are directly going to be defined by his perimeter play, perimeter shooting, because, you know, if he want, if, if Timmy Allen wanted to go to Bosnia right now or Spain right now, he could, he could be making that money immediately. I think he hopes that he can figure out things either in the G league or in the NBA that will be dependent upon him figuring out his game um, as a more perimeter oriented kind of guy. So, so Jeff and I were talking uh, before the before the we actually kind of hit record on the podcast and people on our website or I'm sorry on insidetexas.com will probably have seen me post this a couple of times. I am genuinely fascinated by Timmy's catch and shoot three point numbers. Uh, for people who don't know, he has been around like a 26 and a half, 27 percent three point shooter in the two years that he played a lot and shot a decent amount at Utah. Um, if that's the number when Jeff was talking about how that's going to really clog up Texas's offense, that's the idea. I mean, you can't have a guy, if you have a guy that's a perimeter player, that's shooting 30, you know, sub 30% by a decent amount, like that's, how do you figure out spacing? How do you, how do you find ways for guys like Ramey and Jones to, to create offensive mismatches when anyone like like whoever is guarding Timmy and Christian Bishop like they just they they just simply can help off of them so how do you play both of those guys on the floor at the same time I, I just don't know unless Timmy is in the, even even the low 30 percentages from catch and shoot opportunities because if he is if he can be shooting 32 percent on catch and shoot threes 
this offense could take off. Like if defenses have to play him honestly, he's an awesome tertiary ball handler. He can be a, a absolutely phenomenal playmaker as someone who gets, you know, looks on, on kickouts or safety valve kind of looks. He can, he will probably live at the free throw line because he's so good against that, you know, those situations. Uh, but if not, then an already offensively kind of a little bit grimy system that Beard runs could be even that much uh, more scary or grimier. So he's, I think Timmy Allen's a 30 minute guy, but if you, if, if we look 20 games down the road and he's, he's proving, yep, 27% is my, is who I am as a three point shooter. Either they're going to have to find minutes for him at the four, or he could be, he could be the odd man out pretty easily. Sorry. That was a long way of saying that. I apologize. Will. it's fine. Um, Glad, glad to help. <laughs> never, never a bad time for a Tim filibuster. So, um, I, I think uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm less bullish on Timmy Allen than a lot of people. And it's not that I think he is a bad player by any stretch. I think he is, um, as Jeff mentioned, he's a guy that you, uh, you definitely take. Um, and if for some reason he wants to come back, you definitely figure out a way to keep him on because he has a lot of value. Um, I, I just, I'm, I, I just, I'm surprised he's a first team pack 12 guy. That's the, when I look at his, his, his stats and, and what he did, it just feels to me like best player on a mediocre to bad team that put up a lot of numbers. And so like, it's, I, I just, I was, I was genuinely surprised when I saw he was first team all pack 12. Well, seventeen and seven is no joke. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's no joke, to, it's but at the same time, there, it's yeah. sort of like Carr, where like if you're like putting up big numbers on a bad team, like does that say as much as much about you or as much about the team, right? And and it's not necessarily a knock on Timmy. It's just I I feel like maybe he got some votes because they're like, wow, he he was the only reason they won more than five games at Utah or whatever, right? Like it's so I I think um, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I I feel like this team may end up with they might start uh, every offensive possession doing motion out of a, a box set and then they just leave three guys there and just let two guards run around the three guys <laughs> setting screens or something I I don't know it, I I I think Timmy is a thirty minute guy I don't know that I would play him thirty minutes but I also think I would play him over Christian Bishop if all, all things being equal because I. I I feel like Christian Bishop kind of got recruited over in the transfer portal, as it were. Um, but we can get to him in a minute. Um, I I feel like Timmy's probably going to be a thirty minute guy, at, you know, rather than ten. Um, and I, in part because he's one of those guys who, in suboptimal situations, can go create a shot. And when you play an offense that reached its peak in 2003 uh you're gonna have guys who have to go create shots late in the shot clock and i think guys like Uh, 1903 1903 sorry yeah well no look they they can at least palm the basketball now um so it's uh yeah uh no if it was 1903 there would be uh this would be a very white team um there's so there's i think that um yeah I, i mean i a guy like Allen can go get his shot. He has a very crafty game. He he can do a lot of things. But Tim's points about his uh, and Jeff's points about his lack of primitive shooting are real. And there's a substantial sample size on it. So uh, he's going to have to prove people need to come out and guard him if he's going to stay out there. 
So uh, I'll say 30, and that may be kind of unfortunate for our offensive numbers. So now that we've talked about Timmy Allen, we're going to talk about who I suspect is all three of ours most interesting new transfer, and that is Dylan DeSue, um, who is uh, here out of Vanderbilt. He is going to be a junior. Um, he is a, a really interesting player. I, I agree with Tim's view that he is probably the best pro po- prospect on the team. Uh, I mean, I, I went and watched that guy grab every rebound he felt like getting against a very athletic Kentucky team who sucked but was still filled with potential NBA guys. Uh, he also went and got his bucket when he felt like it. So um, if if he is healthy this year, he's going to maybe be, a, a I don't want to call him a secret weapon because he's not a secret, but uh, he might be sort of the surprise for a lot of people. Uh, Jeff, what, what do you think about yeah, let's let's assume the health thing straightens out. I, he's one of my 30 guys. I think now if you go back and rewatch that Kentucky game, which I also did, I mean, that's his best game, but he was fantastic in that game. He's all over the floor. He's getting every loose ball, getting every rebound, knocking down shots from the perimeter, scoring around the basket. He's part of this sort of like log jam that we're going to have for this team at, at the interior in the post spot. But kind of like Trey Mitchell, at least he can step out and spot up and hit a shot. So he can he can maybe be a solution to part of the logjam, although I still will be surprised they have a lot of success playing offense with three big guys on the floor at once. Um, but no, he's an, he's an extremely good player. I'm, I'm quite excited about him. So he's a 30 for sure. Yeah, the health thing is there for me too. If he's, if he's healthy, he's a 30 for sure. Absolutely. I'm nervous about it. Because I I know that they're taking it easy with him on purpose, and they're just you know they, it's it's tough to bring nine guys into a season and say hey we're going to get big minutes for you all. That's just that's just a tough thing to do. But he's so skilled, man. He's so skilled, and he's super smart. <laughs> he's a guy that actually, um, you know, a lot of people talk about Carson Edwards with Shaka. Like, why did you bring in Jacob Young and not Carson Edwards? And I think that this is another guy that that really fits that mold. Like, what? Man, if if you we would have been the the talent evaluator that we could have used you to be, that that would have been a very helpful thing. He's a terrific shooter. He's smarter on the basket. Um, he's a, he's a great rebounder. I you know I I I think that he, if he's right, he will step on the floor and be our best shooter and best rebounder. I don't want to say immediately, but but certainly potentially very soon after he's right physically. So, so would you consider him a better shooter than Andrew Jones or uh, Marcus Carr? Better than Marcus Carr. What I will say, I, I do think that there's a very good chance that his, that his percentages will be higher than Andrew because Andrew will take worse shots for what that's worse. I, I, I think that Dylan will be more likely to take, uh, to take higher percentage shots just because of the circumstances and because he'll be guarding him and, and whether we will be relying on him to take some of those tough late shot clock moments that may or may not be there may, but um, yeah, he's, he's someone that, that I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I guess I'll probably say 10 for him right now, just because I actually do think there's something to the staff holding back on him a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that he, really is 100% right, even though I know everyone that's told me is like, oh, he'll be fine, he'll be fine, he'll be fine, but we'll see. Um, so if he's healthy, he's a 30, but if he's not, he's a 10? If he's healthy, if he's healthy and things go great, I think he could be a top 30 pick, <laughs> if that answers whatever question, like a different way of thinking about 30. I think he could be a first-round draft pick if if things go great, and I'm I 
I'm excited about him being like he's he's the one guy on the entire roster where if you say, hey, Texas is in the final four, I bet he's the guy like when we go back, if we you know, I always look back to that 2009, 2010 team. And I thought the same way about Jordan Hamilton, like, oh, I think Jordan Hamilton could be at this level player. And he didn't ever panned out and that team never panned out. But I do think that Dylan could be that level guy. Like, oh, okay, he could he could put himself in that kind of situation because, man, he can shoot and he can really rebound. And those are two things the NBA loves to see. Okay, so I yeah, I'm 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 gonna say that I think D'Souza's a thirty guy because I I feel like he's coming back healthy. I I also feel like he and Mitchell are both guys that um, may not have their uh they may not be optimized for this particular offense because I, I i haven't seen beard really feature a, a stretch big uh very well to date uh hopefully they come up with some wrinkles to get those guys some perimeter shots and 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 feature their game uh we will see so the next guy up is uh christian bishop who is uh apparently the guy that we all disagree on uh because uh i think he sucks and Tim thinks he's awesome. That's that's not true. Tim, Tim, what do you think? I I'm surprised you guys are as low on him as you are. He is the he's the most obvious he's the most obvious Jericho Sims matchup that we have on this roster. And I, not that that really matters. Not that Jericho was amazing, but the level of athleticism that he has compared to Mitchell. Um, and compared to like a Timmy Allen is pretty seismic. Like he's just, he's an obvious, uh, rim runner guy. He's a guy that you play for on lobs. He just plays way above the rim. He's, he's super athletic, athletically dynamic. I think he's got good hands around the basket. Again, a smart player understands spacing, understands kind of when to move and how to move. I think that will be important in an offense like this, where, where we're looking for the right shot. A lot of times motion offenses like kind of tell the teams, hey, this is the kind of look that we're that we're okay with and these are the kind of looks that we're not okay with. I think obviously a guy like Bishop who can who can fly as high as he can will be a big a big deal. And you know, I I'm not trying to say that Trey Mitchell is not a, a good athlete. He's certainly a fine athlete. I'm not trying to say that Timmy Allen can't can't dunk the basketball. He can dunk the basketball, but I think that the level of the level of athleticism that Christian Bishop is going to bring is going to set him apart from the other guys at Texas. And that will be an important part of, of how we utilize Carr, how we utilize Ramey um, and hopefully kind of see him. Uh, well, just, just be that, that rim protector that we need. Cause if it's not him, it's probably nobody. Yeah. I mean, Bishop, Bishop will be the, I mean, Bishop's the best athlete on the team, right? I, I, I think that's, that's fair to say. I don't think he's a, he's certainly not a Jericho Sims level athlete, not, really even close but he's he's the best athlete on the team um in that sort of Creighton system where they played four guards and they had four guys handling the ball four guys shooting ball screens and him kind of diving to the rim and them throwing up lobs like he was very effective he was very good but someone has to not play like that's the deal right like you can't give 30 minutes to you know we've got again I think we've got to me, it's like the guy who he's really vying for minutes are not with Timmy Allen, but kind of with Courtney Ramey in that, you know, you either see a lot more lineups where there's there's three guards on the floor or you see a lot more lineups where there's three big guys on the floor. Because, I, again, I think I think 
Timmy Allen's kind of like a big guy, right? He might play on the perimeter, but he's he's kind of a plays plays this game where he backs dudes down from like you know 14 feet out. So Bishop, if 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 Disu is hurt, you know to start the year, Bishop's going to play a lot in the non-conference game where they're playing you know Little Sisters of the Poor. Everyone's going to play a lot, so he'll get plenty of minutes. Um, but someone's got to someone's got to set right. It just this is the way it is. And so my guess is he's the one. Yeah, I guess for me, I I, I look at Bishop and I, I feel like if you could have brought him to, you know, September and been like, hey, do you want to commit now as opposed to being the first guy who committed? Uh, he he might have stuck at Creighton, maybe. I don't know. Or, or, or found a different spot because I just his 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 skill set to me overlaps with a bunch of other people um, to yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah. keep in mind too, this guy transferred because he didn't want to play the five, right? That's why he came to Texas. He he didn't want to yeah. play the five at Creighton. He was going to get plenty of minutes there. He wanted to play the four. I just don't know that that matters yeah. in Texas and with so many big guys, it's just going to be a logjam. Yeah, and that's fair. And I, I guess I, you know, when I when I look at him, I see a guy who his his skill set is interesting, but it. It's replicable by a number of other guys. Uh, at least pieces of it are replicable by a number of other guys. And so I just kind of feel like he, he's going to be a 10-minute guy uh, on this 30-10 scale just because of who else they brought in. And I, I do sort of wonder if you could you could go back to him and, and bring him forward to now and be like, hey, you still want to commit? And he ends up at, I don't know, Arizona or something. So just so we're clear, you guys think that Beard is going to not choose the obviously most dynamic interior defensive player to play big minutes yes so he's going to choose offense <laughs> in this situation i i, I guess <laughs> i don't know that i don't know that bishop is the most dynamic interior defensive player i guess uh, the problem this is the problem i have i've seen the two guys on this team that i've seen play a lot more are him and and Carr, and i i i I didn't come away with the impression that Bishop is like this sort of dynamic interior defender, like, or at least meaningfully more than like DeSue or Mitchell or they're going to, it's going to be kind of like interior defense by committee, right? You've got like all these big long guys inside. And I don't know that any one of them in my head stands out more than the others from a defensive, like rim protecting standpoint. And I think I, I look at it as, um, there, there were promises made, right? Like there, there were promises made to some people about who's gonna get big minutes, and the later people showed up, probably the bigger promises they got for the most part, other than Avery Benson because he's just happy to be here with his, you know, as the bastard son of Chris Beard. But other than him, like you think Mitchell's gonna be all right, being like, yeah, I'll be a fifteen-minute guy. Probably not. I don't. I don't see that being like you had to promise that dude the moon to get here and get him here. And if and at that point, Beard's got a uh, a decision to make of is he going to honor that? Because if he doesn't, word gets around, right? And, and if he honors that, then what does Bishop get? Or you know, maybe Allen gets a few less, a few you know, fewer minutes out of this. Like that's my 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 decision matrix here is. Uh, less just about what's on the court than what I think promises were made off the court. And and so that's why I think getting a guy like Mitchell in means guy like Mitchell going to play a lot. And if he plays a lot, that means a guy like Bishop is probably going to play less. 
So it's it's not that I think your point is necessarily wrong. I just think it there's there's context there that changes it for me. So that's that's part of why I think Bishop ends up being out of the thirty ten thing. He be he, he's a ten guy. So um, on that note of guys who might have thought they were going to be thirty who are now ten, uh, Devin Askew is on the team. Um, <laughs> a guy who. Prior to Marcus Carr showing up, probably thought he was going to get to handle the ball a lot more. Um, but with Marcus Carr around, he's in, and the fact that people saw his season at Kentucky, it was on film and everything. Uh, so you can't pretend it didn't happen. Uh, he is now on the team. And uh, that's an interesting fall from grace from a guy who is a sort of a five star, every, you know, pick, pick your school kind of guy to he's he's a transfer at texas and uh kentucky fans could not get him the hell out of the paint fast enough so uh tim what what do you think about uh devin askew and 30 10 he's he's a 10 and he's an enigma for me because he's another guy that i think from a straight from a straight talent standpoint he's one of the higher ones as far as Texas is concerned this year. He's a terrific athlete. He's long. He's very fast. Again, he's very smart. But he played like kind of dog shit <laughs> last year, which is true about everyone in Kentucky. So I don't I don't want to pin that on him because that would be quite unfair. But they were dog shit was, by committee, yes. Yeah, he he was he he was he was struggling all over the court. Now, I think that playing with older also smart players will really help him and it it would not shock me if he surprises a lot of guys this year and and plays plays at a high level but i how do you find minutes for him he can't shoot like jace i don't think i don't think he's going to play make more than even andrew right now and i certainly don't think he'll play make more than than marcus or courtney so 10 minutes is, is for sure my guess. Does he stick around after this year? Is he someone that we think loves Texas, loves this coaching staff, can see himself in the future of the Longhorn stuff and that, that you know we can we can show him how to be an NBA draft pick in a couple years? Maybe. I don't know. But he's someone that I still feel really highly about. I just I don't know where the minutes come from, even though he's he's certainly very talented. Yeah, no, I think he's fine as a long-term prospect. I just the the minutes this year will be tough. I mean, the poor guy got recruited over at Kentucky. Well, so first of all, he reclassified, so he went to Kentucky a year early. He was completely overwhelmed. Then he got recruited over at Kentucky, so he transferred to Texas, and then he got recruited over at Texas. So this guy's been recruited over multiple times in the in the same off season at different universities. But I mean, I think, you and know, he's not even 20. Yeah, I think like a year or so down the line and maybe, you know, it happens when it happens for these guys. Maybe this year is the year where where it starts to come on for him. But realistically, like this should be his freshman year just based on age. So, I mean, if he's a year or two away still from really impacting the game at the college level, that would be a totally normal development curve. Right. So I just I just don't see him getting a lot of minutes. And I was, to be honest, when when Carr wasn't signed up, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, thank goodness we've got Ramey at least on this team because he'll give you know Askew like kind of a grown up to play with. Yeah, it's it seems like Askew's pretty pretty easily a ten at this point, barring some sort of injury in the back in the backcourt or something. Um, he, he's 
two of his last three games at Kentucky, he had an offensive rating of zero, which is Ben Simmons like. It's pretty impressive. Uh, so I don't, I you know maybe he just needed a change of scenery. I I have questions about how well he's going to respond to tough coaching because um, there have been grumblings that he didn't respond well to Calipari's coaching and. Boy, have you ever talked to Chris Beard or anyone who's been with him? That's that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how he reacts to that. So hopefully, well, hopefully he uh, he, he buys in and stays bought in. Um, but uh, you know, maybe we're looking for another point guard uh, very soon. So that that's that's pretty much the 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 main transfers. We will get to. I guess we will have to mention Avery Benson at some point here. Um, but let's let's go back to the guys who were here. Um, Andrew Jones is going to be the guy we talk about next. Uh, for me, he's a pretty clear 30, uh, because I think he's going to be sort of the starting off guard. Um, I I think his, his shot, uh, his ability to get off shots, his ability to, uh, bail out possessions is going to be pretty important. Plus he's now, you know, like, like somebody said, he's like 34 years old at this point. He's been at Texas since Rick Barnes was here. I feel like, um, I, I, I'm. I feel like if there's anybody that they should modify the motion offense to suit, it's a guy you like him or Jace you can plant in the corner and actually like provide the spacing to get off shots because he can unclog a clogged up offense pretty quickly. So for for, for me, he's a thirty. Yeah, no, he's definitely a thirty, and he's probably the one who, if things really go well for Texas, there's a world, there's a universe where things really go well for Texas and. And Andrew Jones is an All-American, right? That's that's a plausible outcome. I don't think it's a likely outcome. But if Texas goes has a great season, they're like a top four team. There's there's a pretty good chance he's their leading scorer, and he's you know an All-American. I actually think he's gonna come off the bench, but I do think he'll be a thirty-minute player. And he, I I'm excited for him more so than anyone in our guard rotation as far as the motion off. I just, I don't like the motion on offense. We'll talk about that more later. I'm sure we will. John and I have talked about that a, a few times over the yeah, last well, several times. So. It will be brought up several times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't like it. I don't like it from a Tim standpoint, like just like my own experience with the, with the motion offense. I do not like it, but I do think it can be helpful for, for Andrew because it can simplify some things for him. And which is weird to say because he's probably our most um, improv- improvisational player, and he's capable of, of finishing at the rim better than anyone else that we have, maybe other than Marcus. But I do think running him off of screens, giving him set looks that he can shoot off of, I think he probably can can show some pretty cool things uh, because a, a, another smart player, another guy that just kind of understands spacing, understands the right kind of shooting mechanics for the, the different situations he's in. I think that that will be uh, pretty good. So he's, he's a 30 minute guy. I would not be surprised if he's our six man. So okay, for whatever that's worth. So, so are you in this, in this realm where he's the six man, who do you think can start Ramey? Yes, that would be my guess. Okay, that they start Ramey. All right, so, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about Courtney Ramey. Uh, uh, Jeff, what do you think about Courtney Ramey's uh, prospects this year? So in this sort of thirty ten framework, I, he's my last thirty minute guy, and I think there's, I think there's a world where they end up starting Ramey, Jones, and Carr together. Maybe not right away, but at some point in the year. You know, he's the second ball handler. When Carr sits down, he's the point guard. He can shoot. 
he you know we we know his game right he defends he's very very competitive he sees the floor well he's he's good all around basketball player and i think he he probably fits pretty well for what this coaching staff wants at both ends of the floor so i i, I can't imagine him not seeing a lot of minutes yeah i think that he's i i think the only way he doesn't work out is if if there's a personality clash um i think that from from a defensive standpoint from a competitiveness standpoint I, like honestly i think the competitiveness thing is, is maybe the the way it it, it it the way this this manifests poorly is i i just i you know courtney ramey is afraid of no man on this earth and uh i think that includes chris ogden and coach beard and everybody else that happens to be in that locker room right like i i if there's somebody on this team who's gonna tell chris beard to eat shit it's probably courtney ramey right like that that dude's just I, not that i think he will i just feel like if there's anybody that has that because he 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 chirps he he chirps at people he's 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 a talker and um it's it's one of the better aspects of his game but it also but might go really south given how super intense Beard is. So um, I I I, I want to see Courtney Ramey do well. I'm just uh, I'm really interested in sort of the off court aspect of this as much as the on court. Yeah, if, if Beard could coach McClung, he can coach Courtney Ramey. All right, fair. That that yeah, I, I may be overanal. Yeah, I may be overanalyzing. Ramey's, but I just... Ramey's not that kind of a problem. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't think it's a head case thing, right? Like, it's not like I think Raimi's like a, you know, I don't think he's got a problem. He's just, that dude gives a, he really cares, right? Like, a lot. And I could see him being super intense and Beard being super intense and things just going haywire as a, you know, when they get crossways. It's not not a, not a knock on him so much as it just, both those guys really, really care. So, anyway, Tim, please. No, good stuff, guys. I think that Thanks, Will. I took a couple minutes talking about Timmy Allen from his shooting from three and how important that will be. Uh, turn that on its head, and that's what I'm fascinated about for Courtney Ramey. What is his shooting percentage when he's within eight feet, particularly against a set defender or someone there? If Courtney Ramey could could be in that 45 to 50% range against a set defense in the post, he could he could be a first team all big 12 guy. Like he's, he's that level player. He's that level shooter, but he was just bad finishing at the rim, um, which will be really important in this offense, like an emotion offense of what we think is good or not good. That second ball handler along with Carr, how does he finish in the lane? How comfortable is he as, as a primary scorer when we need for him to be someone that we can kind of count on, um, to find those to find those complementary looks against against a, a rotating defense or against um, those opportunities where, where Marcus like draws something and then and then gives gives Ramey just like a look where like okay he's got a lane and then he just has to finish over a big he has not done that well at all like I want to say there was a game against West Virginia where he was like oh for seven or oh for eight inside the paint and we just we can't we can't really survive that. So I'm hopeful that he is able to figure that out and that this that this staff can help him to master those issues. Um, and if they do, again, this another uh, yet another guy that if he plays really well, this Texas team could be awesome. But 
but I, I'm not sure that that going to an offensive system that is even more rigid and more specific as far as what we want from him will help. And and you know when when we talked about what do you do with Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop on the floor? Like if we're playing against defenses that don't have to rotate because they can have multiple guys helping off of their initial assignments, that's that's a negative for Ramey. Um, whereas it could be a, not a negative, it would be a negative for anybody, but but a little bit less negative for someone like Mike Marcus Carr or Andrew Jones. So how how comfortably does Ramey find his ability to finish in those um, clogged lane moments against a, a bigger defender who's already there waiting for him? Uh, because it's been, you know, for all the great things he's done at Texas, that's that's been his big Achilles heel, and I'm I'm not sure that he'll be able to get over that, but. Um, to whatever extent he can, that will really help us. And, and to a degree, that's kind of Carr's challenge to a lesser extent as well, right? Finishing at the rim has been a problem for him through his career as well. So uh, that brings us to um, my uh, my son, uh, Brock Cunningham, who, uh, as the uh, sole proprietor of Brock Cunningham Mountain, uh, welcome everybody. It was a lonely first couple of years, but uh, glad you all joined me lately. Uh, it's very, very pleasant here. There's a lot of nature. Um, it's a lot of aggravating charges, but you, you, you deal with it. Um, so Brock Cunningham is uh, pretty much what uh, Chris Beard thinks about at night when he's trying to get aroused. Um, he's, he's like... It's <laughs> like when, when he sees Avery Benson, he goes, yeah, but if you were Brock... Um, really, he wants Brock so, with Avery Brunson's hair. That's what he's. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, if we could get, yeah, if we could just get get Brock to got to throw that mullet out, that would be uh, great. So he's he's now he's now become not only Chris Beard's dirt weed dealer, but also the guy poking the ball out of people's hands when they're not looking. It's uh, it's just it's great. It's it's um, it's a six four a white Jared Hass or no? Yeah, right. <laughs> stop, stop. yeah. so. Um, so yeah, so Brock Cunningham, uh, is, is pretty much, uh, he's a 10 minute guy for sure. Um, there, there's an alternate reality where I, where Shaka comes back with a depleted team and has to play him 30 minutes a game. And I, I love that outcome because it would just be fucking chaos. Um, but yeah, so I think you have an extra one there, Johnny, just see where did I, did I, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like he's going to be a dude who shows up at, for three-minute stretches here and there and just efforts the shit out of everything, right? Like, he's just going to go take about a million charges, and he's going to go go after a bunch of random-ass rebounds that he probably shouldn't have gone after, but he takes a weird angle and gets and does all the aggravating things that if he was on anyone else's team, I would hate, but he's on Texas, so I love it. But yeah, I, I, he's he's a 10 guy as his 30-10 game, Tim. He's a, probably a zero for me, honestly. <laughs> so I, I don't think he's going to be a zero-minute This podcast player, but is I, over. Yeah, I think he's closer to zero than 10, most likely, for me. I, I Yeah, in this game, 10 for sure. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see how you play him over Timmy Allen or Andrew Jones. Uh, you know, I, I like what he brings, clearly. I like... His excitement, and when you know you go back to his freshman year, that five-game winning streak was, you know, in no small part due to him and uh, and sad face big guy Will Baker. But um, but I I just I I don't 
I don't see how he fits offensively with what you want from this team. Um, as well as he moves the ball, as well as he passes the ball, I, I, you know, Will, you were talking earlier about about promises and and what that, that what that's going to mean. And if any Will Bazer stuff is true, it's it's about promises because uh, he's not here right now. But but uh, but how 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 can this staff have the guys? that the, the they brought in and still give Cunningham, you know, even 15 or 20 minutes a game. I just, I just don't see how it's possible. Like that would mean, that would mean just significantly shorter minutes for, for some guys that I just, I don't think you can do right now. So, um, well, yeah. if he, if Chris Beard can find five minutes a game for Avery Benson, uh, regardless of who's on his team, I think he can find nine minutes a game for Brock Cunningham. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about Brock? Yeah, no. In this game, he's a ten. It, you know, the way the the way minutes could really end up working out, guys, is especially in this because we're going to have so many non-conference games that are just lousy. Where you could totally imagine, you know, Brock Cunningham ending up with fifteen minutes in in those games because they play they're playing ten, twelve guys. Um, but in, in Big Twelve, I mean, yeah, I, I could see. It, who knows? Injuries happen, and then all of a sudden he's playing 20 minutes a game. But yeah, let's let's make him a 10 for the purposes of this. All right, so uh, we are down to uh, the last guy I am going to talk about. I, oh, he's not the last guy. I just don't want to talk about the next guy. Uh, the last guy we're going to talk about is Jace Febbers, uh, the super senior, uh, the only super senior on the team. Um, I, 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 he's pretty clearly a 10 for me as well. Uh, I. I feel like he's a guy you're probably going to put in the game for a couple minutes early on, see what kind of Jace you're going to get, because if he's hot, then you roll with him. But if he's not, then you, you, you put him back on the bench. Um, I, I'm interested to see what his um, his game looks like this final year. I, I think he was coming back regardless of who the, who the coach was. Maybe he just wanted a... Uh, a, a healthy year to go out on. Maybe he's trying to show his game to the European leagues. I, you know, whatever the reason, I feel like it, he was maybe the most sure of any of the guys that that remained as holdovers. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to call him a 10 minute guy, and there's probably going to be a game where he bails out Texas. Yeah, that that sounds about right. I mean, 10 for for Jace. Um, if you know. We don't know what this offense is going to look like, but if things really just bog down, you know, the only the only scoring options are, are realistically going to be people shooting from the outside, and it's going to really fall on people like Andrew Jones primarily. But you could see you could see a place for for Jace Febris in the offense. Um, so he and he's he's older, he's experienced, he's got good size. Yeah, he's he's a ten though. Yeah, I don't. Even a great shooting game for him, I don't think would would push him up to thirty. And I could I could see him being at a twenty two or twenty three minute per game on a great day. But I just don't think he's going to defend well enough in in Beard's system to say, "Hey, you have to play me big minutes." Like I, my my shooting will just overtake whatever other uh, shortcomings I might have. So I, I yeah I, I I think he'll play a lot, but I don't, or at least I think he'll play every game. I'm not sure he will ever get uh, the kind of minutes that would push him even close to 30 even on an amazing night so just seems unlikely to me given his other issues but um i'm excited to have him i think he'll win you know he, he seems like the kind of guy that could win two or three games for us by by five minutes of hot shooting and and 
in a in a system like Beards that that can kind of like if you if you win this a five minute stretch here or there that that wins you the game. I I could see that being the case for him, but I don't I don't imagine Beard saying yes. I I have to find minutes for him. I would I'd be much less surprised if they found crazy minutes for Cunningham than if they found minutes for Jace. So um, although I like Jace a lot, I I hope I hope that I'm wrong, but we'll see. So that that leaves us with uh, our, our one uh, freshman, uh, Jalen Tyson. He he is the uh, the new guy on the block who I do not know shit about. Tim, what, what do you know about him uh, briefly? Because this is we're trying to make this podcast shorter <laughs> than Dune if we can help it. So, <laughs> uh, tremendous shooter, terrific passer, um, another really smart player. Um, a fine athlete, not amazing, but fine athlete. You know, probably kind of similar to, to Brock as far as his dynamism athletically. So I think he's a guy that if he sticks around for a while could really could be in that 40 ish percent range from three, which makes him a really dangerous player moving forward. I don't see how he commands minutes um, anywhere above 10 this this particular season. But but he's a guy that actually I, I, I think is. Um, someone that you look down the road and say, if he's still at Texas in, in two or three years, hey, he could be a, a difference maker kind of player. But uh, at this point, he'll he'll be a guy that you bring him in and, and probably hit some 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 three point shots just about every single game. Uh, he won't hurt you when he comes in in some of those minutes that are kind of filler minutes against bad teams, or even even you know could play him for a minute or two here and say, hey, pass the ball into this spot in our motion offense or you know, spot up from three and, and, you know, knock it down when you have a look. But, uh, I don't, I don't in, I don't see how he challenges Timmy or Andrew or Courtney for some of those minutes. And even Jace will probably get minutes above him. Although I, I feel if, like he's, if Jace is, he's probably closer ahead, to a red shirt than 10. It, it, like he, I don't yeah. think he's a red shirt, but I think he's closer to that than 10. So Jeff, Jeff, do you have anything on Tyson? He'll, he'll, if, if he does 10, that will vastly exceed what, seems likely and if he gets 10 it probably means like there's eight guys who are hurt it's nothing against him it's just there's so many players in front of him including avery benson who uh that's all we're going to talk about him because i don't i don't want to talk about him even though he's probably going to end up getting like seven minutes a game for no fucking reason whatsoever um really don't i just like jeff says yeah in the non-conference he'll get zero minutes per game or like three minutes a game occasionally but like i bet i bet he gets like five minutes a game against kansas and baylor and like it's all gonna be against (laughs) the end of the half when it's like four point game and just throws him in there because he just he loves him so much and i don't i don't get it um anyway that's avery benson so uh hope you didn't listen to that avery uh or maybe you did whatever fuck it um that's that's probably that's well beyond all the time we have uh tonight uh this is going to be the longest hour of pretend we're football we've ever had (laughs) because it's probably gonna be like an hour 40 unless will just slices entire sections out of this when he finally gets it uh sorry will I, i i tried to rein them in but i also talked a lot so it's also partly my fault um so, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, you can uh, catch the Pretend We're Football podcast on the Hornscast channel, uh, which now has a Patreon. 
uh, which is uh, impressive. Uh, maybe you could become, we, we can actually quantify our 11 listeners at this point because they might actually become Patreon people. That's great. So, uh, you know, listen to them on the uh, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever uh, you happen to get. Pretend we're football. This will be there. Hey, y'all. Pretend I'm Johnny here. Specific shout outs to our patrons, Cole C and Brittany M for joining us at the Kool-Aid and 995 levels. Awesome people. Thanks for joining us. Cole, I know you're a big fan of the Pretender Football Show in general, so here this one's for you, bud. Glad you got a feature length Pretender Football. Uh Jeff, do you have any uh in any places you want to plug in particular? Yeah, you can email me at hotballs76 at geocities.com. Right. I love that because it does tell us exactly how old you are because it's definitely a 1976 username. Definitely. I'm, I'm a bicentennial. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's all right. I've got all that bicentennial shit, like the plates and everything. It's somewhere in the box. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you can, I, I'm on Twitter at Jeff C. Haley. I don't tweet terribly often, more often than Tim, certainly less often than that's, Johnny. Yeah, both of, that's, both of those are accurate. Yes, that is, is correct. Uh, Tim, uh, where, where can they find you? Uh, sure. On Twitter, Inside Texas Hoop, no S, and on InsideTexas.com. Awesome community. Come hang out with us. Love to have you. He's also got a super secret Twitter handle, but I won't mention that here because I, I like having it to myself. It means I'm part of the cool, <laughs> cool crowd. Um, you can find me on uh, Substack, Bitter White Guy. Uh, the season preview pieces have started. Uh, there will be four of them. One is posted. Uh, it may look like a Marquette season preview, but that was by design. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Bitter White Guy, which uh, good luck drink from the fire hose. Um, and then the, you can also find our, uh, our our Twitter account, Pretend We're FB, for the uh, for the basketball focused stuff, so that you uh, drink from the garden hose instead of the fire hose. It's probably a better place for you. Uh, next podcast uh, may may have Will back, or maybe we just continue this mutiny all, all the way through the season. Uh, in which case, uh, good luck. These are all going to be two and a half hour podcasts, and I uh, hope you listen at like time and a half. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Hook them. Hook them. Nope. Should I hit stop? Hit stop. <laughs>